0: Hello everyone, welcome to The Forrest Stevens Show. In today's episode, I talk with Chad Culchin, who is a very interesting person. He's a writer, podcaster, and he's worked in the film industry as well. His work is, you know, wide ranging and, and I'll just list off some things here. Uh, he's written the book, The Average American Male, The Lie, Men, Women, and Children, The Average American Marriage, Dark Light, Strange Animals, How to Win the Bachelor. And he's also um, written and been a part of a few movies. Um, a notable one that we actually talk on in in this discussion is The Incredible Burt Wonderstone, starving, uh, starring Steve Carell, uh, Jim Carrey, and Steve Buscemi. Uh, there's a big, interesting backstory that we get into that, and it kind of shows a little bit of the darker side of working in Hollywood. And uh, yeah, very interesting um, very interesting hearing his full story of how uh he kind of got screwed out of that movie a little bit so i also mentioned he has some podcasts um his podcasts are very interesting and we get into a little bit of those uh as well in this discussion uh, one of his podcasts is called Dudesy, which he co-hosts with a comedian uh will sasso And it's actually run by an AI. So it's completely produced by an AI. And there's all these segments that they do that are AI generated. And uh, it's just incredibly interesting actually watching the progression of that technology. And uh, another podcast that he does is called The Necessary Conversation, which he does with his sister who is left-leaning and with his parents who are deep you know, deep QAnon mega Republicans, and uh, the discussions are political, which is very interesting because they actually stopped talking to each other for a while while kind of everybody was getting um, deep into the political scene of Trump and all that. So it's very interesting, um, you know, being able to talk to him about that and why his family is so different and why there's this, um, yeah, we kind of go into some deeper uh uh psychological aspects of of that with him um his other podcast is called game of roses which he talks about how the bachelor is um basically a game that's why he's also written the book how to win the bachelor and he talks about um you know how the people in there are basically trying to gain something from being a part of that show uh, which is an interesting thing as well and we didn't talk uh about that actually unfortunately that was one of the questions i forgot to ask but we do talk about why he thinks deeper on things Uh, and we get into that right at the beginning so i won't get too much into it in this introduction but um basically he's the type of person to kind of look at systems and look beyond just the surface level of the way things operate and the way things are. And we try to go, uh, deeper into that. And, um, what makes a person like that and, uh, why Chad is in my opinion, such an interesting guy. Um, so this is a, yeah, it's a wide ranging conversation. It's, it's a little bit uh, of a longer one for my guest interviews. Uh, usually I keep them about 30 minutes, keep them compact. We go for 45 here and, um, it's because there's a lot to cover and there's, like I said, there's things I even missed. Um, it's just an incredibly interesting guy. I can't say that enough. So I think that's basically all you need to know if you've never heard of Chad, but uh, I'm assuming some of you have come over from dude Z from the necessary conversation from Chad's Instagram. And, uh, yeah, just welcome, welcome to the pod. Uh, the pod here is a strange one. We, a lot of it is solo episodes where I actually go into my book. Uh, that I've written and discuss uh, in in deeper um, thought on the ideas that my book uh, portrays and shows. Um, I also have guests on that I find interesting, and we try to get into the deeper questions in life. So if that's something that you're interested, hope you stick around, hope you subscribe, hope you follow all that jazz. And uh, before we get into the actual interview, there'll be a short ad segment coming up right now. Thanks everybody for watching and listening. If you've been enjoying this podcast for a while, I know that you're going to enjoy this next thing that I'm talking about, which is my book. It's called Tripping. And this book and the podcast are definitely interconnected. And sometimes in this podcast, on the solo episodes, I'll actually just open up this book to a random page, read it out, and talk about what it kind of brings to mind or how it was formulated and thought out. Um, These pages aren't full so this can be kind of a journal type thing where my paragraph in here is a jumping off point it's a new thought and it will spark creativity within your own mind and you can add to it in your own way now that's what i do on the podcast sometimes and uh, a little bit about this book it is available on Amazon uh, as a paperback. I highly recommend it as a paperback, as that trip companion, as that journal. And you can just randomly flip to it or you can read it through and kind of just gain some insights and some uh, some nice jumping off points for yourself. But this book was written over a year of my life, um, a life in isolation and doing intense yoga every single day for over an hour breath work, and combining that with different psychedelics, predominantly cannabis, and writing down the thoughts that came to my mind. Then I filtered through those thoughts and those writings and edited them up a little bit so that they were concise and that they would create a new thought in your mind. That's the goal of this book and i hope that it will um be interesting and so far a lot of people who have bought it have said that it's been really really awesome so uh, i mean that's (laughs) that's good for them and uh, i think if you enjoy this podcast like i said just to wrap it all up if you enjoy this podcast you will definitely enjoy this book it's available in the description below recommend getting the paperback it is available on kindle as well thanks everyone just to start off i uh I'm a big fan of your work. I really like the way thank you me. think specifically. I think ah, I think well. you're a good thinker. You know, you're a writer. You know, obviously <laughs> you got to think, right?
1: Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm a thinker. If I'm good or not, I have no idea. But
0: in my opinion, you are. So um, thank you. I wanted to get into that. I, 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 this is a broad question, but why do you think that you're somebody that thinks about the world? You know, there, there are people out there who kind of just go about their life a little bit and don't think deeper on things. So why do you think that uh, you're somebody that does that? Or are you somebody that does that?
1: No, I definitely do. I'm definitely always sorry. There's a fire truck going by. Um, I always am kind of like looking at systems, I guess, whatever those may be, how society is uh, put together the system that operates to make us behave in the ways we behave, everything down to like systems of video games or anything else that I'm looking at, I guess. I'm always just trying to see like what is the game here and how do I win that game or how can I affect that game? And I think I've been like that since I was a little kid. I don't really know why. You, you don't know why
0: there isn't a moment in your life when you started to kind of get deeper on things so
1: there aren't some kind of catalyst that happened in your life that made you like that you don't think you know it might have been when i was a real little kid my my family was like to some degree religious i guess catholic and we were forced to go to sunday school and uh you know church and all this shit and this is like i don't know how old i was maybe somewhere between five and ten i would say and i just remember from a very early age looking at that system and being like what is going on here Why are we having to come here every Sunday? Why are they telling us the shit that is like pretty clearly not real, not true? And I think that questioning at least of like the of Catholicism or at least the piece of that system that I was experiencing as a kid has kind of then ballooned out to looking at literally everything and anything. If I'm seeing any person behave in any way, I'm always asking myself, why are they doing that? Then I'm asking myself again, well, why is that the answer I'm giving to that first question? And then again and again. I usually try to ask three times, why am I seeing what I'm seeing? And then ask that same question of the answer two more times.
0: Interesting. So it's it starts with that asking why, you know, it's, it's, uh, that's, that, that, yeah, that's how you learn, right? So I think maybe just as a kid, you know, it's, it's really common with, you know, toddlers, they start asking why you give them an answer. They ask why, 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 you know? So uh, maybe that was just something that carried on and you, and it seems like, you know, from what I know about you, it seems like you. You're very practical with your thinking. So you kind of you ask why until you get something that's actually concrete.
1: I mean, sure. I don't think there is anything concrete. I, the ultimate question that I'm asking why about, or uh, maybe not even why, it's more like what the fuck is this? What is reality? That's the only thing that I really care about. I don't think I'll ever have that answer. I don't think any human being ever will without significant technological augmentation or aliens coming down and delivering us some kind of tome of knowledge or something. Um, I, we have five senses. We can augment those to some degree with various technologies we've created, but I don't think we understand what any of this is. And so, based on that kind of fundamental understanding or acceptance, I think that all the systems we have developed I'm talking about God, government, money, art, science, love all these basic kind of abstract systems that we've developed as human beings to govern our behavior or explain our motivations I think they are all not real. Yeah,
0: yeah, they're just ideas um to kind of soothe some part of ourselves and uh, at least I think. Yeah. Yeah, there there was lots there. I mean, I I also believe uh and this is what I was getting from that was that like we are limited in our ability to understand things. So like what is reality? You know, it's like we actually aren't capable of that. And and you think, yeah. possibly there's some augmentation that might do that or something like that eventually. I mean, who knows if we'll ever be able to understand that maybe it's, yeah. we have a fundamental limitation. I don't know. Um,
1: but yeah, it's possible. I mean, we are getting to a point technologically where we are, we're doing some very interesting things with, uh, brain computer interfaces now. right? And I am hopeful that we're going to get to a point where whether it's a chip in your head or it's it's some way that your brain is attaching to a computer outside of your body more than just like typing on your phone or typing into a keyboard. I am hopeful that we can augment our cognitive abilities with computers within the next 10 years. I think that's going to be happening.
0: Well, what's interesting about that is like as far as I can really like push myself past that point, it's like it always comes back to this idea of like faith. It's like you you still have to have faith that what that chip is telling you or what you're perceiving is still true. Like, and it's, mm-hmm. and then it's like with religion, it's all based on faith. And it's like, you have to have faith that God exists and that, you know, this and this and this and all the different ideas. So yeah, it almost is, it's very similar in that way where you end uh, up, there ends up being a point where you, there still has to be like some faith that something is true.
1: Sure. But the big difference between God and science is science fundamentally, I mean, whatever, you can start talking about like how money corrupts it and all this kind of shit or governments try to take control of it, whatever. But in its purest form, science is actually curiosity. It is it is saying why yeah. and what. What the hell is this? Let me experiment. Let me see what's going on here. And yes, you may have to have some faith that the technology you build on those experiments will behave in the way you want it to or that it will have some positive outcome. That's like faith, but mm-hmm. um, it's not the same as faith in religion. Religion is the absence of curiosity. Mm-hmm. Zero curiosity. Religion is, here's a fucking book. Everything in it is true. Shut the fuck up. That's a good point. And that's it. Yeah. You know? um, so in my... I mean, just for me personally, science is a far more valuable abstract idea than religion is. I think religion is is one of the most poisonous things we've ever come up with. Hmm. Uh, money being the the first one,
0: you know. Okay, so one thing I did want to talk about, I'm I'm a big fan of the necessary conversation. Um, I think <laughs> <laughs> I think okay. your your family is very interesting. Uh, th- <laughs> there's right. there's parallels to my own family. Um, sure, um, but I'm up in Canada, so things are a little different politically, um, and. Uh, you know, okay, so do you think you know, I asked that first question, uh, you know, why you're a thinker? do you think that your family, like your your parents, specifically um your dad, your mom, do you think that they think um deeper on things and uh or do you think that you've separated from their way of thinking
1: uh, in a yeah, I don't know. I mean, they it's hard for me to think that that anyone isn't thinking about like these bigger questions about the fundamental nature of reality, but You talk to my dad and it's like, then it becomes very hard to think that he is thinking about those things. So I don't know. Maybe I'll ask him something like that on the next uh, episode. But um, yeah, I'm not really sure. I also know that they're, you know, they're old or older, I should say, in the twilight of their life. And I think you probably are thinking about things differently at that point because you're trying to kind of wrap up. Did I lead a good life? Is the world headed in the direction I thought it would be when I was 30 now that I'm 70? And am I okay with the direction it's headed? And mortality starts creeping in and all these other kind of things. And I, I think just generally speaking, people are more likely to start embracing abstract ideas like God or afterlife, things like that, once you start getting closer to death. So maybe they are thinking about that. I, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one of the the big differences I
0: see is like... Um, your dad is just blatantly, obviously racist. Um, you both your parents. I mean, I think it probably comes from a lot of fear. You know, they're very fearful. Um, mm. do you think, and and why do you think if this is true that you're different fundamentally than them in that way? Like, do you have fears of th- like of things that we can't control? Like, as far as what I hear from you, it doesn't seem mm. like you're a very fearful person. Um, And why do you think that you've separated from that?
1: No, I don't think that I'm fearful at all of of pretty much anything. It's like (laughs) we're all going to die in an arbitrary, probably horrible way. I accept this. And while I'm alive, I'm going to try to like have fun and make some jokes and like do things that interest me. That's that's really like my only kind of motivation in life. Um, I, I have always thought that like fear was kind of a wasted impulse because it just, it, it gets rid of your logical thinking. It gets rid of your ability to think or perceive or experience anything actually as it's happening, which isn't possible anyway, but fear exacerbates that, um, why they're fearful I don't really know. I mean, they grew up in kind of a small place, I guess. My dad had had like a pretty hard life growing up as a kid. He was adopted. He had to kind of pull himself up by the bootstraps. And I think he developed a like an adversarial worldview. If you're not with me, you're against me. Fuck you. And that is also based on fear, obviously. Um so I think that's just like carried over his entire life. And then my mom married him when they were very young. And I think he kind of sucked her into that way of thinking too. I don't know. Had she wound up with a different guy, I'm not sure she'd be the same person, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um,
0: one thought I had last night on this subject and, you know, it's going to be a little convoluted and mixed up trying to get this out. But I had this kind of uh, idea that, you know, we we have different uh, challenges in our life at different times. And it's like you just mentioned your dad growing up and having a hard life. And now I imagine their life is actually pretty easy. Like they're probably just chilling. You know, they got their horse. They got their pets. They they live very isolated. And then it's like they still they have this biological sense. I think we all kind of have this maybe baked into our DNA a little bit to be fearful because it's it's kind of an advantage to be like, okay, well, there might be this, you know, thinking back into our ancestry, there might be this danger out Mm. here. We got to be cautious. And it's like that that fear has like carried on and yet they're living in this world that is like totally safe. Like they're completely safe. And then they it's like yeah they focus on these things that are totally not not affecting them and probably like not affecting anyone they know. Um or very little, you know? And it's like, but it's sure. something to just fixate that mm-hmm. energy on. Um or, or, yeah, just
1: yeah, <laughs> just rambling a little bit, but what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that's basically how Trump became president. I think exactly what you're saying is right. I mean, my parents specifically, my dad has like done well for himself professionally. So they're not like any kind of financial trouble. Uh, but they need this perceived enemy. This Again, this adversarial mindset needs to be satisfied or it will invalidate his entire life. Right. So as long as there's still some enemy to be pissed at, the way he thinks works. And so he will find that enemy wherever it may be. And in our our past, just as a family, it has sometimes been my sister, it has sometimes been me, it has sometimes been my parents, other siblings, they will find someone to be the enemy. And now it's a more abstract, you know, China, the <laughs> Democrats, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's, um, like you're saying, also based on fear, for sure.
0: Yeah. So total different uh, subject here. We're just going to run sure. through a bunch of ones, but um, you, you're a writer, and uh, I know that there's a, it's a bit of a complicated story, your connection to the incredible Burt Wonderstone. I, I you mentioned <laughs> just sure. briefly on Dudesy there. Um, yeah. And, but I'm really curious about that. I mean, that's quite an accomplishment to have a movie made about something that you've written um, and such a good movie. Like, I know, like, I don't know how you feel about the movie itself, but I watched it for the first time a couple of weeks ago, and I laughed a lot like it's yeah. a funny movie. Um, Thanks. And my biggest question
1: about it is, did you come up with The Brain Rapist? He wasn't called The Brain Rapist in mind. He was called... Fuck, I forget what he was called in mine, But it was something very similar. Um, basically, the story of that is I wrote that movie as what is known as a spec script. Which means I just sat down and wrote it. Came up with everything. Then New Line bought it for... I want to say $15,000 that was paid out over the course of seven years. So this is when you think like you get into movies and you're going to make a shitload of money. This is the reality of it. So you're making two Um, grand a year from this. Basically. (laughs) And then they tell me seven years later, hey, we're going to make the movie. But 30 other people have done rewrites on it. And you have to go to credit arbitration with the Writers Guild, the guild that was just on strike, of which I am a member. And so the Writers Guild uh, credit arbitration process is as follows. If you're the first writer on a project, even if it's it's an adapted thing from a a book or something like that, which this was not, this was a complete original piece of material. If you're the first writer on a project, you must prove that 30% of the final shooting script has come from your material. And then that guarantees you at least shared screenplay credit and credits for movies. A lot of people don't know this screenplay by and story by. Are two separate credits Mm -hmm. unless those credits both go to one person or one writing team then it becomes written by so this one if you watch these credits is not a written by it's a story by which i share with three other people and screenplay by which i share with no one i got kicked off of that completely by goldstein and Daly, the two guys who got credit for it they are notorious in hollywood for coming in doing a rewrite changing all the names of the characters the locations they changed like in mine it was an orphanage they made it an old folks home in their movie you know Mm -hmm. little kind of surfacy cosmetic changes they make a ton of those and then they steal your credit that's like their whole mo that's their career basically is based on that and so they did that here uh and i believe it might have been the first time they did it no they did on horrible bosses too sorry right before that Hmm. they did that I get kicked off. My guild tells me to fuck off because the guild actually is incentivized to get the bigger writers to get credit because they get paid. The guild gets a percentage of every deal done in Hollywood for all writers. So if you're making more money off of a deal, that behooves them. Right. Um, And that was it. I appealed it. And the appeal process was you, you go into this room with three members of the writers guild. And I had all these papers where... Basically, in the arbitration process, three people who are supposedly unrelated to anything in this process and don't know who the writers are read all of the original materials, the original script, outlines, whatever, whatever, all the way to the shooting script. They then determine uh, who's going to get final credit. So that happened. And they said, Goldstein and Daly are getting full credit. Fuck you very much. And I was like, they just changed the names in my movie. I mean, that's like all they fucking did. And so then uh, I appeal it. And in the appeal, you can take the reasoning that the arbitrators have given and basically pinpoint like, well, they attributed this to these writers, but look, it was in my original document. So they misattributed that blah, blah, blah. I had this whole fucking list of things. I go into the appeal and in the appeal, the three members in this appeal tell me, oh, we can't look at any of those documents. And I'm like, well, then what the fuck are we doing here? And that was it. They kicked me out and uh, I got no credit on that movie. And that's it. So you, it's never that's been. It. Wow. And I, I've never felt stranger about something. Cause like that movie was really funny to me when I wrote it, mm-hmm. it took seven years to get made. So the comedy was already like a little stale in it. Mm-hmm. And then it comes out and I'm told I'm going to get no credit on it, which means also no money. Mm-hmm. So I now am rooting against that movie. I'm oh. like, I hope this movie fucking tanks. Fuck Jeez. those guys. And indeed it did. Right. I like, oh, had man. anything to do with my incredible, uh, Quantum powers to to manipulate reality with my mind, but uh, <laughs> and that's that's a common uh, experience, you know. The Writers Guild arbitration process for credit is just—it's absolutely insane. Yeah, it's like they break it down to these mathematical percentages, and it's like, how do you put a script into any of these mathematical categories? It makes no fucking sense at all. No, that makes no
0: sense, and it's uh, it's telling that that that's this has happened to you, and I'm sure you're not the only one that has like a wild story behind. No. their their part there. in
1: a movie there's a whole industry of people you have to write this thing called an arbitration letter where basically you lay out facelessly you can't say what your name is you you get assigned writer a writer b writer c so that it, the arbitration process is like you know can't be uh tainted in any way but it's if you read the trades you know exactly who all the fucking writers are it's mm-hmm. absurd oh okay. at any rate uh you have to hire a person you don't have to, but it's very common that you hire a person whose job is solely to write these arbitration letters. Mm. They will read through all the scripts and be like, I'll give you the best letter possible. And these people cost thousands of dollars. I did that and it just didn't work. You know, I hired a guy who did like Marvel movies and shit and uh, didn't work. That sucks, man.
0: Do yeah. you, do you it's think that that credit like I mean, I know you said you d- you got no credit, but you you do have that story by do you think that led to anything else in your career or no?
1: Oh, no. No. Absolutely nothing because the movie wasn't a success. Right. And again, I had sold that thing 7 years prior to it getting made. Yeah. So in those the sale did more for for my career than the movie getting made because then in those 7 years I was able to like piggyback off that, sell TV uh... shows, other movies, books, whatever. Okay, so
0: you you had that in at least. Okay, well that's that's very interesting. I mean, it's it's Uh, Sounds like a
1: terrible experience, honestly. Yeah, Hollywood is, um, you know, for a writer especially, I think we are the, strangely, we're the the one career out here that gets shit on the most, but nothing exists without us. Mm -hmm. It's still bizarre. Everybody gets rewritten a million times on everything they do. Uh, Your thing gets turned into a pile of shit. Writers get hired and fired constantly. If a director gets fired off a project, that's like big fucking news. That's super Mm -hmm. rare. Writers literally... Almost every project has multiple writers, which also, I think, waters down the final product. Why does it?
0: Yeah, it seems like it's almost like writers are just deemed as like interchangeable, like they're they're just they are. They're not important. But is that even true? Like, it seems like to me, when I look at a movie, I think, okay, who is like I think about who's written it more than anything else, basically, Um, maybe who's directed it. But uh, yeah, written is really important, I think.
1: I do, too. Um, And there are a couple of writers who kind of stand out. But generally, the path you take, if you become a successful writer is you want to start directing your own movies as well. And that's where you get kind of like final creative control. If you're writing and directing something, then you're getting basically first say on the script and last say on the edit, which which is the final rewrite, a lot of people say in Hollywood. And so that's kind of like the only way to have real creative control over it is that. And also, you have to have made some studio a fuckload of money Mm -hmm. if you something that makes a lot of money for a studio they will give you less notes they will let you take more chances etc etc but you know i think we all know the best media is the weird shit where it's like one person makes this thing that slips through the cracks and everybody's like oh my god this is incredible and chances are taken um and that just is is exceedingly rare in hollywood and getting rarer because all these big studios really are they're only concerned with their giant IPs mm-hmm. the star Wars, the Marvels, the Harry Potter's, the fast and the furious is, you know, and that's, that's
0: really all they give a shit about. And they're, yeah, it's just repeat stories basically for mm-hmm. new viewers. Uh, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. All uh, that
1: shit will be written by AI within 10 years, I think.
0: Well, yeah, let's, let's, uh, segue into the AI here. Um, <laughs> all right on a uh, doozy. And this is related to filmmaking too. You guys do, um, kind of like scene by scene of pizza, the movie, which I think mm. is a genius script. Like it's so far, oh, it's you. been amazing. Like <laughs> it's uh, it feels like it feels like there's like a meme comedy in it where it's like it yeah. knows that it's being silly, but it, it knows yeah. that it's almost being like like a movie from the 80s, like a like a teenage yeah. movie from the 80s. But it's made or like it feels like it's made now. and it And it's and it's got all of these Cliches and things that just really make it a very funny world. Like it's, it's you've mm-hmm. created a world in that story that uh, is unlike our world because things are not happening in the same way. But um, it's very entertaining to even listen to. And um, you produce a podcast, or you're on a podcast that's produced by an AI. Um, you just mentioned, you know, Fast Furious uh, 74 sure. is going to be made by AI or whatever. You know, um, mm-hmm. do you think that Pizza the movie is gonna be made by AI
1: eventually. I hope Dudesy makes it. I mean, (laughs) yes, the answer is, look, I'll say this. As this AI technology for like text to image, text to video, uh, all kinds of AI voice generators and stuff are coming out now. It's just, it's breakneck pace. This technology has really been available to consumers for maybe like two years. Where's it gonna be in 10? Mm -hmm. I think we're all gonna be able to make full feature length movies on our computers with very little effort. And it will then boil down to who can use that tool the best. Writers are, you know, scared shitless. Hey, is going to take our jobs. We have to stop this from happening. And it's like, it's not going to take anybody's job. It's just going to drastically change the labor necessary to do that job. Mm-hmm. Yes, everyone will be able to write a screenplay by clicking a button now. Most of them will still be shitty. It mm-hmm. will still come down to who can use that tool the best to convey their idea uh, in the most clear format. I just, I'm super excited by it. I want that to happen because I don't want to have to go to new line again and get a fucking movie sold that gets made seven years later and go to credit arbitration, whatever. If I can just skip that part and make my own movies happy to do so. And so, yeah, I think, I mean, look, if I have the ability to make pizza, the movie with AI tools, I'm going to do it. And I think I will have that ability sooner rather than later.
0: Yeah, you can really see like a pretty clear trajectory to that point. Like even YouTube allowed people to like create what they wanted. Um, And then, you know, that allowed people to not have to not have to work with so many people. And and it's just like, yeah, you can see kind of where um, where it's kind of becoming more just anyone is able to create something if they have an idea.
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool. I agree. Music for me was like. I never really got into music until i got a macbook and and just was like oh what's this garage band thing and started dicking around with it now i kind of like make little songs to just entertain myself but um had i had this technology when i was in junior high i think i would have become a musician i don't think i ever would have written a word because it's just you can make a studio quality album on your computer now hmm. everyone can yeah with by watching maybe like 20 hours of youtube videos you can learn how to mix master fucking make a drum loop all that shit and i think uh movies are gonna be the same it's just gonna take a little longer we saw this happen with mp3s mp3s came out music industry dies mm-hmm. then the movies are like no oh, wait dvds later you'll never fucking do that and then it's like streaming comes out movies die you know it just takes a little longer to get to movies because in terms of their their data amount it's like more complex yeah but we're gonna get there
0: yeah well you know one of my like non ironically my favorite music right now is made by ai it's uh mm. It's uh, Glorb on YouTube. They make SpongeBob rap music. I don't know if you've seen this. Oh wow! It's very, no, it, it's I'm very funny. Out. It's like each new video is like a rebuttal. So there's, I don't know if you know much about well SpongeBob, but I grew up with SpongeBob, so it's really hitting for me. But it's uh <laughs> it's like the the Krusty Krab crew, and then they make diss songs against Plankton, and Plankton like makes another diss song. So it's like each new thing like mm-hmm. develops this story in this world but it's like hardcore wow. gangster rap um, mm. and they use AI uh, voice. So somebody raps it and sings it mm. and then they use and like, writes it. Yes. And somebody writes it and it's who's really, making the music. Um, it's kind of like, a, it's like, the, it's kind of hidden. Like they don't really tell you who's making it. It's, it's, it's one okay. of those projects where it's like, This just kind of exists and it's like the production value is really great like the Mm. they do videos that are computer generated like spongebob going you know shooting guns and like shooting up bikini bottom or whatever the hell you know and it's like it's crazy the production level and but they're using ai to make themselves sound like spongebob or mr krabs or whatever so that's that's the ai element in there and that's a small amount but i mean you could see where ai like yeah, like you said, with picture generation image generation and video generation, like it's just inevitable that it's gonna be yeah. able to do that as well. Totally. Yeah. Highly recommend checking that out. Um <laughs> uh okay, another subject here. Um, this is a big question here. Have you have you ever done therapy before?
1: Yeah. I did for a little while. Shit, this is a couple of years ago at least, maybe during the pandemic. Some time during the first year of the pandemic, I think we were all doing it at that point, right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was interesting. I I feel like it fit a need for that time, but I haven't done it since then.
0: Interesting, yeah. Because to me, it's like, um, you know, some of my questions for you were we're trying to figure out like why you're different than your family. I think therapy for a lot of people is what kind of breaks them out of the the patterned behavior kind of mm-hmm. thinking. Um, yeah, and. Yeah, I was just wondering, did you find that at all? Or, or what what were some of the benefits that you got from that uh, during COVID? Uh,
1: I mean, honestly, like, we were all locked inside. It was just, like, talking to another person was <laughs> the main benefit, I guess. But I also was, like, unleashing all my weird fucking worldviews on this person and, and realizing, you know, very quickly, like, oh, this person doesn't... The things I'm saying sound insane in mm. terms of, like, government's not real, God's not real, none of this is real type shit, you know? And I don't think that that person was necessarily... Um, equipped to kind of like deal with some of the the bigger existential shit that I was talking about. But mm-hmm. for me, and this is just my own personal kind of thing, I kind of stumbled into many, many years ago, um, getting high and going to get an hour and a half long deep tissue massage while I listened to theta wave, like binaural beats. Huh. And I, I've kind of fallen off, but I used to do this every Sunday. And that really was like therapy to me. It, I don't know how else to explain it other than I would just like go into a trance where I'm just focused completely on thoughts and images that are like, my head is just creating shit constantly. And in that kind of hurricane of images and sounds and and little video clips and whatever else I was able to kind of like start digging into like stuff about my family and Mm -hmm. (laughs) who I am and all that kind of shit and ultimately dissolve it down to nothing, dissolve it down to identity is zero. This is all manufactured. And that, it gave me a, a separation from kind of like the problems that I had with my family in a way that I feel like was healthy. I know you you tell some people like I got to a point where I completely detached from my own reality and identity. And people are like, well, that's fucking bad, but I actually think it's good. I think it's a very good thing for everybody to do that if you can.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. It's uh people talk about kind of, um, taking psychedelics and having like an ego, uh, ego disillusion or whatever. And it's kind of the same thing. It's just like realizing like everything at the, at the base point is like, okay, because everything's fine. Like everything is okay. The way it is kind of, it gets you down to that base level. Um, so when you said get high, was that from cannabis? Yeah. Just weed. Yeah. Um, I had a similar thing. So. At the beginning of the pandemic, I started doing these yoga series. And so it was like body work. So this is this is why I'm connecting to you here is like the deep tissue mas- massage is, is body work, right? It's kind yeah. of like uh, accessing like physical points on your body. Um, and what I would do is I would, I would consume high amounts of cannabis and do yoga for an hour and, and the yoga included breath work and meditation. And I wrote a whole book over. I did this every day for a year. For, oh wow and so I wrote a book of all my kind of like weird thoughts that would come up um, and uh, for me it's like that the it gets you in that space, the combination of cannabis and bodywork, I think it gets you into this really introspective space, at least it did for me. Yeah. And uh, so I'm finding some parallels with you on that. But that's, that's a super interesting way to actually,
1: I mean, dude, it, it got to a point for me, it was so routine, like the routine became I would get high as shit outside this little massage place. And I had the same masseuse every week, I would go in and the ritual was like, as I'm taking off my clothes, I would think about like the shirt for example i would take it off and i would think about everything that had to go into making this shirt from the dawn of time so we had to crawl out of the fucking ooze we had to become (laughs) creatures that could even think about clothing ourselves all the way up to like we have to develop you know machines that can fucking like mass produce these cheap ass shirts to who made the fucking old navy logo in the back of it blah 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 Mm. blah blah taking off every piece of my clothing, thinking about these things. And then I, I wear this uh, medic alert tag because I'm going to get frozen when I die. I would take that off. And that to me represented my own fear of death. There it is. It's wow. gone. Kind of like would, would use that piece of the ritual to eliminate any part of my identity. Then I lay down on the table and I'm not shitting you, dude. Every time I got to a point like this, I close my eyes, face down on the table. And I would just like force myself to imagine sinking through the table into like a black void. And that's where it kind of all started for me. And usually then I would kind of force a, a spot of light to come out of the darkness and then I would force that light into a face and I'd be like, who is that and why are they here? And then that would start the fucking uh, the journey, so to speak. Whoa, that is super trippy, man. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> I need to get back to it. I, like I said, the pandemic fucked up my whole routine. I, haven't, I get a massage here, here and there, but uh, it's not as regimented as it used to be. And I think that that was a, a good thing to do.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you know, I started this whole thing off with asking, "Are you a thinker?" Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think you might be. You know, like Maybe. you're thinking about where, like the history. Um, and I think about that too sometimes. Where it's just, it's unbelievable the world that we live in, and it's only because yep. of our of the past, of the collective past of totally. everything um yeah. that's led here. And. We take it all for granted. We just walk about our day. We get into a car. We drive. It's like we don't even think about the complexity of an engine and how that yeah. power can go to the wheels. And it's like that alone you could just like think for hours on. Um, but then there's just everything is that complex and everything that is that Probably. amazing
1: really. Nor do, do a lot of people I think think about the fact that we are in a chain that is leading to a future mm. where we are going to be the fucking caveman who made the first shirt to somebody a thousand years from now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That that's what I spend most of my time thinking about, actually, is like, where is all of this headed? Um, You know, and you see some very defined pathways. Some others are a little murky. I do a lot of kind of like in my own head, just like probability exercises about like, what is most likely uh, with this technology or this political Mm. situation or blah, blah, blah. Not that I act on that in any way. I just think it's like a fun exercise. Yeah. That's very
0: interesting. Yeah, it's it's almost like trying to predict the future from your data set that you have now.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think this is something that's been going on since I was a kid for sure. The first time you think to yourself, "Like, I bet this is going to happen as a result of that," and then Mm. it does, and you're like, "Oh shit! All right, I'm on to something here." Uh, To me, I've gotten, I've like honed that skill. I think to a point where like. I can be a hundred percent positive about certain, especially with technology, like where technologies are headed. Mm -hmm. I remember I was on a TV show like 10 years ago, this TV show that I created. And I remember specifically there was a day in the writer's room where we all were talking about AI. And I was basically saying, like, AI is gonna replace a lot of human labor in the next 10 or 15 years, including writing. Mm -hmm. And everybody in that writer's room is like, What What the fuck are you talking about? AI. Okay. Cause at that point it was like sci-fi, you know. Now cut to 10 years later, it's all fucking happening and uh it's it gets kind of like not difficult to deal with but it gets tiresome Mm -hmm. to have your friends especially but your colleagues and stuff kind of like shit on these ideas and they continually happen continually happen Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i do try to leverage some of that into like different projects i'm working on to set them up correctly to like hit certain uh upswings in like technological or societal developments and stuff like that but um yeah, I feel like my predictive capabilities have gotten very good.
0: Okay, so I'm going to use your predictive capabilities right here. So, sure. just like those writers, I think about AI, I think about, okay, you're going to AI is going to be able to write, AI is going to be able to make movies. My career, I'm a documentary filmmaker, I run a business mm-hmm. doing that. I think that documentaries might escape the AI taking their job because documentaries uh the kind of the I mean there might be AI made documentaries out there, but uh, a big part of documentaries is just telling the truth, showing reality. Um, do you yeah. think that AI is gonna be able to like have you thought about that with documentaries specifically?
1: This is basically where I see all you know filmed shit going, if you want to call it filmed, because you're gonna have a lot of AI generated images and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think sports documentaries and strangely podcasts are gonna stand the test of time because I think people hmm. do want real stories. And I would I would lump news in with this to some degree, even though like mainstream news now is is basically like a scripted fucking show. <laughs> um, but I think yeah, documentaries, sports, and uh, podcasts. People are going to want to mm-hmm. see real people doing these things. Yeah. That said, I think where you're going to massively benefit from AI is no camera crews. You're just going to have like little pocket drones that that go around with you as you're asking questions and stuff to people, and no editing. You're going to mm-hmm. take. All of your footage and sick an ai editor on it and be like make the coolest documentary out of this footage that you can and it will fucking do it better than any person can and it will do it in 10 minutes mm-hmm. that's where i think the future of of most documentary is is headed it's going to be ai editing um in terms of news like like i said we're already at a point like yes a human being is sitting in the anchor's desk or in the anchor's chair but reading a script that Mm -hmm. is generated by a giant mainstream media company for very ulterior motives, profit being the primary one, Mm -hmm. those human beings sitting behind that desk, they're going to be gone within five years. Those will all be AI avatars, all of them. No one gives a fuck if that's a real spouting these fucking lies. No one gives a shit. And if those uh, media companies can save, you know, what is like Anderson Cooper's salary at CNN? 10 million dollars something like that uh, yeah yeah we'll, we'll take that money back and we'll get an Anderson, uh, 10% slightly <laughs> different version of Anderson Cooper he'll have like a smaller nose or something
0: yeah totally um and and it, it's also I think like you know you, you've talked a lot about the mainstream news being able to do that it's like the alternative news is basically already doing that like yeah there's someone in my life that sends me videos that are totally ridiculous conspiracy videos and like I'll click on them sometimes, and it is like it's like a computer generated head, or like it's an yeah. like an animated voice, and it's like okay, this really just is like one step away from AI completely making this like one hundred percent. Yeah. being
1: I think one doing my it. my vision of the future for like the ability to discern between AI generated technology and not. I have this idea. I wrote about it in a book that never got published uh, called the Auto Record, and it's basically. I think this will happen. I think we're getting very close to it now um, I see a future where there are little, you know, golf ball sized cameras, or maybe even smaller, essentially everywhere. And it's recording everything, 24 hours a day, uploading it to a feed that we all have access to. And you'll be able to type in this location at this time, like whatever the intersection of your street is at this time. And it'll show you all the feeds from that. And so that record of actually everything being recorded is all we can trust. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're going to get to a point where it's something like that, where we will have to have a, like this is legitimate footage mm-hmm. uh, a kind of some kind of demarcation, some kind of stamp put on stuff to be like, this is real. We mm-hmm. have to have that. And I don't know how to do it other than to let everybody see it as it's being recorded. I don't know any other way to, you know, you can manufacture right. a fucking stamp. It's like, Yeah, especially with news footage that needs to be like reported out as it's happening. How do you have time to go through like a third party to validate that this is real and blah, blah, blah.
0: Right. Because because right now we we have that, but it's like it's segments. It's like segments of Mm -hmm. of things being recorded. And then yeah. it's being aggregated. So how do you stop the aggregation? Like, that's the thing that could, can, manipu- can manipulate the truth is like the aggregator, yeah. right? Um,
1: yeah. I mean, we're, we're in this weird phase right now where like everybody has what they perceive the world to be and it's based on a, a psychological reaction they've had to some idea that's been presented to them. Yeah. Uh, either positive reaction or negative reaction or anything in between. but. The, the objective truth is now gone, at least in Western society with mainstream media. It's just fucking gone. Very smart friends of mine are fucking sucked into this team or that team and fuck this and fuck that. And it's like, whoa, th- this is crazy to me that it has happened, but it has. And I, I think the only way to come back from that is to have some kind of publicly available database of everything that is just there for you to look at objectively with no fucking company trying to make money off of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it needs to be like a public service. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Um so you mentioned you that you have a that you have a problem with money. That that's one thing that you mentioned. Sure. Um what is your thought on Bitcoin? I've never heard you talk about Bitcoin.
1: I have some crypto. I have some Bitcoin. It's but I have like you know, a 401k, I have money invested as we all do. Right. Because unfortunately money is, um, you have to have it. Everything in the world. that That is the thing that drives everything in the world, period. You're either doing something to make money, uh, or doing something to spend money. All of us are. And I just hate that that is what it's become because to me, money is the, it's kind of like the abstract idea equivalent of pure competition, which I think is, has served its purpose, but we're beyond that now as a society we literally create medical devices and medical treatments, medical therapies to keep people alive after they in quotes should be dying. If we're looking at it purely competitively, Mm -hmm. when somebody gets very sick, that is uh, the natural order saying time for you to go. Someone new needs to come in. Mm -hmm. That's what death is. It's, it's designed at least in, in whatever this fucking system is. Death is part of that design because it allows for the, uh, you know the recycling basically of genetic code it allows for new mutations to come in you don't want the old genetic code sitting around when you need the new shit to react to the changes in the environment so death is like is is a part of the design of this and i'm not Mm -hmm. suggesting an intelligent designer i'm just saying it serves a very specific function yeah we override that function we already are are creating things to dismiss the the basic fundamental reason for competition in our society so with that said i think we're beyond it i think we don't need competition i I think it's actually a bad thing for at least in terms of uh hindering kind of like a progress toward a utopian society sure for that reason i would love to get rid of money because money is the ultimate marker of competition
0: that's so interesting to think of it like as competition because it is it's almost like a point score like in a
1: you know. it literally is that dude yeah it's if you have this number next to your head in a fucking bank account somewhere you get to do all of this shit yeah. if you don't you don't it's just an access key that's it and the higher your number is the more shit you can do and if your number is high enough you can do anything mm-hmm. including live longer have diseases cured fly into space buy any judge buy any politician mm-hmm. if you have the money if you don't you don't get any of that shit yeah and that's I mean, it's abhorrent. It's abhorrent that we live like that as a mm-hmm. fucking society, you know, that we even allow it. And then it becomes this fucking weird thing because we all have that little competitive piece in our brain. That's like when you see a billionaire, you can't quite hate them because you also want to be them. Yeah. Maybe there's a chance you could fucking get to that level. Wow. So if I hate them now, what if I get a billion dollars one day? You have to like you almost appreciate that they made it to the top of the heap, whether that was given to them or they did it themselves. It's so fucking bizarre to me. And I just think if we got rid of money completely or we did something like, you know, institute a thing where you can't have over $10 million and any money you make over that goes into some pool, that gets redistributed. I don't know. I don't know exactly how to do it. But like, I think there is no utopia as long as we have money in the way it currently functions. Yeah,
0: that's very interesting. I I definitely need to think on that more. I've never thought about uh, money being as as competition. Um, One thing I think money is that it's a tool to store value or, or to store energy. Um, and then you can like use that money to like activate energy in the world in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that for me is why like Bitcoin is interesting is it's, it's a better store of energy in my opinion, because it doesn't kind of inflate away. Um, sure. So, but that doesn't definitely doesn't solve the issue. I would think of competition. Like it's still,
1: no, it doesn't. It's still the same thing in that sense. Totally. And like you're saying, it's a store of energy. Fine. But the people who have the most of it then have the most energy yeah. to shape society in whichever direction they want. And guess what? If you're a fucking billionaire and you're on top of the fucking mountain, you don't want money to go away because that's your fucking power. Yeah. So you're only going to mold the system to make it more important. And that's bad. Yeah. It's, it's just like we're going in the wrong direction with that shit. Everybody talks about late stage capitalism and everything. And it's like, it's true. Yeah. It's, it's simply fucking true. There is no middle class anymore. It's like you're fucking rich you're not rich or you're completely fucked Mm -hmm. and that's it it's uh yeah dude it's bad we're in a bad bad. situation i think with it
0: yeah it's bad you're right it's it's uh it's like a privilege to have like everybody has a certain degree of privilege and it's like people with a lot of money have a lot of privilege because they're able to do things and uh it's like yeah you're kind of just dealt the hand that you're given and then like you can only do so much in your life like depending on who you are what, what your situation is and uh there's a there's a, just a huge wealth inequality because of those because of the way that we've set up society and it's yeah. it's only getting worse I think
1: and I, I mean I don't begrudge people like Bezos that motherfucker worked for every goddamn dollar he made uh, and he built something that changed the world you know mm-hmm. with his own two hands like it's impressive what he made I'm not saying that like the mm-hmm. work he put in is is bad or anything like that but at a certain point. I would argue like once you have $1 billion, every dollar after that mm-hmm. should never be yours. It should go back into society to make everybody's life better. Yeah, He doesn't need hundreds of billions. He of, doesn't even need a billion. You know, you can live very nice with like a hundred million dollars. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. But, uh, 10 times that is a billion. It's fucking crazy to me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Anyway. So you mentioned this uh, experience that you did with cannabis and, and massage yeah. Um, to me, that, that's a very, that, that is a psychedelic experience, what you explained totally. Um, but I'm curious if you've had any other psychedelic experiences in your life, um, from substances or anything.
1: I've done mushrooms maybe 10 times, maybe a little, maybe a little less. Um, but in my youth, I haven't done it in a long fucking time and I've done MDMA a handful of times as well. And what have been some takeaways from those experiences for you? I mean, those were all like Las Vegas with my friends in my early 20s. <laughs> Not a lot of takeaways. Just fucking stumbling around the Las Vegas Strip, laughing my ass off and, you know, seeing like fractal patterns coming out of slot machines and shit like that. Uh, I don't know that I got any like deep, meaningful experiences out of those times. Just a lot of fun. Oh, ah, cool. Yeah, that's that's that sounds awesome, man. <laughs> yeah. Awesome.
0: Sweet. Thanks for your time, Chad. I really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure, man. It was it was great to be on. Uh, yeah. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you. You too.